another episode of The Last Ones In, where being late to the party isn't a bad thing. I am your host, Jariah Archuleta, and with me today we have E. Hello. And Robbie. Hello. And then all the way from across the country, we have Rocky. That's the guy. All right. And today the movie that we're going to be watching and taking a look at is The Greatest Showman starring Hugh Jackman. Yeah, so I have seen this quite a few times, and then a couple more times in preparation for this episode here. Everybody else hasn't, so E, Robbie, and Rocky have all not seen this movie. So I think that is actually very fun. That's kind of the reason why uh, we went with this one, and then after the last couple movies that we had that were such downers, we needed something a little more uplifting. Right. So yeah, that's, that's why this movie. But before we uh, really start getting into that, we should figure out how everybody's doing this week. So let's start over with E. Hello. What's been going on in your life? Uh, since we last met, I finished Avatar The Last Airbender, all three books. Uh, Which means all three whatever seasons or whatever they call it, right? Yeah, all f- 62 episodes. Which isn't a whole lot, actually. It is if you think about it in terms of E-Time, where I can barely watch <laughs> three episodes sometimes. In E-Time, that's a lot of time. Yeah, it's like three years. Yeah. Also, be fair for Nickelodeon, that's a lot of episodes. That is a lot of episodes. You're yeah. right. They usually stick around one season and then cancel it because it's not SpongeBob. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, I also finished uh, Night in the Woods. It's a good game. Great game. That's a very good game. I bought uh, 750 games for $15, so I now own all of those games, and I've been testing a couple of them out. Uh, they're very small games. Usually I have one idea. I paid a, a played a point-and-click game called Parsnip, which is a game where you are a rabbit and you are going to make a cake. Uh, there are multiple endings. The one I got, I killed what? everyone. So What? Yeah. So are you able to like, actively poison the cake? No, uh, I accidentally poisoned the cake. Oh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. the recipe did not call for cyanide. Why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> no, uh, one person got tetanus because I just picked up flour off the ground. Um, another died of paint poisoning. Did you put paint in your cake? No, but I painted a picture before I made the cake, and I guess I didn't wash my hands. <laughs> did you paint a picture of cake and they tried eating the painting? No, I don't <laughs> think so. When I painted the picture, the person I gave it to said they needed to cleanse themselves of sin, so. Well, I mean, you had no options then. Yeah. So. <laughs> this game sounds insane. It's interesting. <laughs> also, how did you get 750 games for $15? That's uh, Itch.io is doing a special bundle where for at least $5, you can get 750 games. Okay. Do you know what date that's going on until? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look it up. Google it. But yeah, so there's that. And then um, working on my game. Did some revamping to the boss I was working on earlier. Yeah, I saw that video on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. same here. Instead of uh, attacking you in place, it now moves, which is far more interesting. Yes, yes it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's been that. And yeah, that was that was my past week. Awesome. How about you, Robbie? What's going on in your life? Not a whole lot. Um, Worked overtime this week, which is one reason why I was late getting here is because I overslept because I was at work until about 9 a.m., I won't go on like a huge tangent about it, but we just have like one certain set of systems to like measure our parts that is inherently flawed. And I was dealing with that to like the maximum amount. Like I was sitting there staring at a computer screen like, what do you mean you're 0.0000 of an inch out? That's in! Like, 
I dealt with that for like a couple hours. Oh, fun. Weird yeah. rounding errors. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, another thing is, as you guys can see, I got a haircut finally. I did. Yes. Uh, they're starting to open up salons again. And so like, you know, I went and I got one and I did give a nice tip and everything. However, I had to wait two hours to get uh, a haircut. And I think there's four people ahead of me in line. Yeah, man. They got to take precautions. Yeah. I, which I understand that too. I didn't complain or anything. Like they're like, all right, like it's going to be like another hour. So it's like, okay, well I'm, I'm going to go eat then. <laughs> and then. Went and got something to eat and then came back and like waited like another 30, 45 minutes or something like that to get a haircut. Yeah. So that was just part of the world we're living in now, which I'm actually rather okay with that considering other current events. Yeah. A lot of things seem a lot smaller right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. And I think I've been mostly paying attention to stuff like that that's happening on top of apparently working every day. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to care about this horrible, uh, thing that's going around whenever other horrible things are happening or horrible things that the president is doing to people and yeah actively it's, yeah it's it's awful horrible things the president are doing to people horrible things that cops are doing to people horrible people that are taking advantage of the situation and doing horrible things because they're just like oh protests let's start a riot like yeah basically but i think i've been a little bit like too strung on that so i haven't like really been keeping up with anything else but that recently that and like said just that and working, and since the gym is open where I live, uh, I've been trying to work out more recently, and I realize that I'm really out of shape. Yeah, a lot of people are. More so than usual. I yeah. have no excuse. My life is exactly the same. So I mean, kind of the same with mine, too. Like, before the pandemic happened, like, my life hasn't really changed that much. I was kind of a shut-in and, like, stayed home and just didn't really, like, talk to people. Like, maybe went out to go get groceries maybe once a week. But, uh... Rocky, how have you been? I've been doing okay. Um, nothing really new with myself. Like like you guys, I've been pretty much absorbed with what's going on in the outside world. But as for me personally, it's, you know, it's got to say, and, you know, there's a, it's like the fucking eye of the hurricane, all this chaos around me in my life's very boring, which I'm very <laughs> fortunate for, I suppose. But yeah, nothing new with me. Just, you know, navigating 2020, it's been a, it's been an interesting year, to say the least. Yeah. Everything's gone downhill since LeBron died. Yeah. Started much yeah. earlier. Yeah. That's not that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. LeBron James is still alive. You're thinking of Kobe Bryant. Also, yeah. That's yep. racist. How dare you? <laughs> I don't know basketball players. <laughs> you're racist. I, I, no, I don't think it's a race thing. I think Dry just doesn't, like... He, the face blindness you have with movies, Dry has with sports. It's not with, okay, hang on. It's not with movies. It's just period. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, I'm a, as weird as it seems, I'm actually a little bit optimistic um, about the civil rights. I think, I think civil rights, I think, I think technology was, was such a blessing. For oh the yeah, civil you rights can't, yeah, you, you know? can't kill someone and then say, nah, he was, he fell. It, Exactly. So I'm I'm very optimistic about that. So I, this as as scary as it seems, the if I mean if if it wasn't if fucking if Trump wasn't president, it would probably be a hell of a lot easier. But um, yeah, yeah, I yeah, think no we can all joke. agree with you on that one. Yeah, but I'm very optimistic on that. The pandemic stuff, I don't really know. The pandemic stuff's really weird for me because I mostly hear about it on the news, but my environment it hasn't been affected at all like my neighborhood and the grocery stores. So it hasn't really reached my world, but apparently it's a very scary thing 
outside. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. Like the the grocery stores and stuff. There's it's just it's the same it's the same world in that regard. So I don't know. Pandemic stuff's weird, but yeah, it's been an it's been an interesting year to say the least. To yeah, say yeah. the least, yes. To say the least. What about you, Jirai? What are you up to? Not a whole lot, honestly. A lot of work, a lot of, uh, lot of editing, a lot of hunting down movies. So that's been a lot of fun. I uh, found a couple of movies in 4K that I've been wanting. Oh, yeah, it's the new month, huh? Yeah, new month. <laughs> so I they're jumped on that right away. They're now movies in 4K. God damn it, there's so many more. <laughs> there's so many. But yeah, just been adding to that collection, uh, playing games with you and my sister and your partner. So that's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah. Yeah, just kind of trying to wade through all of this. Look, I'm just saying, it doesn't seem like our four lives have been drastically changed. I'm just going to say it. We, we seem to be doing okay. Yeah, yeah we're pretty unaffected on. by all of this. Oh, job yeah, so hunting's we... a lot harder in this kind of uh, environment. Yeah. <laughs> job hunting. Ah, oh, I know. Dang. I mean, I mean that be... is serious stuff when you start starving to death, so I'm not going <laughs> to... Yeah, I've trivialized <laughs> that. <laughs> I mean, I get, like, in the grand scheme of things... It's not as it's not as important, but it is a matter of food. No, I don't feel like I'm waiting. I literally feel like waiting through it. I feel like I'm literally in the middle of a fucking hurricane, and the waters are very peaceful. And I'm like, I shouldn't mention that though, because <laughs> if I bring this up, this hurricane's gonna be pissed. <laughs> gonna throw a cow at me. It's like the hurricane has eyes, and it's like the fuck you say. Well, I think it's time that we move on to the movie, which is of course the Greatest Showman. I guess we'll just start off with uh, E. Hi. What do you think this movie's about? Okay, so I believe that uh, Zac Efron, the star of High School Musical, is in it. And that thus makes it a musical by law. So therefore, people will be singing. I also think there's a circus or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're accurate so far. That's yeah, good. Uh, I th- dancing probably too. I think that's... That's probably in there. That's generally in musicals, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Hugh Jackman takes Zac Efron under his wing to show him how to whip tigers. That's my guess. <laughs> okay, cool. So, Robbie. Yeah? Uh, what do you think this movie's going to be about? Okay, so there's going to be this guy, and he's going to have a memory of someone who's very special to them. Every single memory that he has of this person, he's going to have one red balloon. It's going to... Just generally build up and build up until he gets 99 of them. And then there's going to be this German woman who's going to be angry at him because she was the first one to think about getting 99 Luftballons for memories of you. And they're going to fight over it. And there's going to be a big legal battle between the two of them on who actually came up with the idea of the 99 red balloons. So you've been listening to a lot of German music lately? Maybe. So, uh, what you, what's your actual guess? Do you got one of those? <laughs> um, from what I'm get, like, I don't know a whole lot about this movie. I've heard of it. I don't even think I've seen a trailer of it before. I just know it existed. Uh, the only thing I can think of is, yeah, it's Hugh Jackman playing as what well, is essentially the greatest showman, which is maybe like the lead of a circus and considers himself to be the greatest amongst them or something like that, or him building up to being the greatest showman, maybe. I don't know. Okay, cool. I, I have zero expectations while walking into this movie. Cool. And uh, Rocky, we talked before this, but uh, what do you think this movie's going to be about? So I Googled the greatest showman because <laughs> when it was either this or Grease, 
And That's correct. I was like, well, those 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 can't those can't possibly there can't be a very diverse reason for that. So I gotta look into this because I wouldn't want to watch Grease. I probably won't want to watch this movie. And so I, I googled it, and from what I gathered from my Google research, is it's a movie about a famous circus guy, and it's very. Apparently, Google thinks it's very whitewashed that they made him look really nice and stuff. So it's probably about some whack circus guy living some weird ass life where everything's nice and all his problems are someone else's fault, not his. And they sing about <laughs> it. <laughs> this movie is going to be Wolverine hiding in a circus. All right. So I'm going to read the description and then I have a fun fact right away. Cool. Hugh Jackman leads an all star cast in this bold and original musical filled with infectious, show-stopping performances that will bring you to your feet time and time again. Inspired by the story of P.T. Barnum and celebrating the birth of show business, the film follows the visionary who rose from nothing to create a mesmerizing spectacle. This inspirational film also stars Zac Efron, Michelle Williams, Rebecca Ferguson, and Zendaya. And, um, yeah, fun fact, this is about P.T. Barnum, which is, uh, historically a bad dude. But the director went out of his way to say that he wanted to make a great inspirational film without letting the truth get in the way. So What? <laughs> what do you mean um, without letting the truth get in the way? That's that, exactly what I mean. Why did why did he use that person if he was worried about that? Yeah, but that's that, that's the problem. You gotta inspire off of off of some basis of reality, or else you're gonna have like people like, oh wow, it's so easy to be in the circus world. That guy did it, and his life was nice and neat. And it's gonna be this nasty fucking reality because that the inspiration was based on a goddamn lie. <laughs> so that's my problem with with that idea. Yeah, I, I think that's almost like making a movie about a painter and his journey to become. When the, uh, to become a good artist, and then you find out halfway through the movie that it's Hitler that you're watching a movie about. <laughs> See, anyone can lead a, lead a a nation with simple aspirations of being an artist. <laughs> okay, legitimate oh, question. So, is this director or producer or whatever you just said, and I forgot, is he racist, prejudiced, sexist, any of those that you know of? No, not that I know of. Okay, he just happened to choose a terrible person as the source. So the script was given to him by Hugh Jackman, because Hugh Jackman really wanted to do this movie. Okay. And so this was basically a handout from Hugh Jackman, because Hugh Jackman really liked the director, and he's like, I want to work with you, because he did like small commercials, and like mostly animation is where the director comes from, honestly. And so, yeah, Hugh Jackman's like, I want to work with you, here's the script, and they developed it over the span of, I think, like seven, eight years, something like that. So they took a pretty terrible human and they got some award-winning musical writers and choreographers and a bunch of really beautiful people. Uh, And then they just didn't tell the truth about P.T. Barnum at all. So (laughs) I want to make an inspirational movie about coming up in the world. And it's really nice and and fun. Just one little detail, a five minute montage of this dude just sucking all these dicks (laughs) to get up there. (laughs) <laughs> and then the rest is nice and neat. And then... <laughs> but then like, people get mad because you have a gay character. Who cares? The, the 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 first the first half of the movie is about this dude like who's trying to make it up in the world, 
and a big part of his character is he's totally not gay. Like, that's just who he is. <laughs> Definitely Five not. Five-minute dick-sucking montage with a two minutes where he's sitting on a bridge afterwards just having conversations with himself. Like, you know what? I'm, I'm cool with gay people. That's fine. It's nothing wrong with that. That's just people People are being hateful. And, like, his whole mentality changes. And that's my movie. <laughs> I would watch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of watching movies, though, I think it is time for us to uh, stop recording for a minute, go sit down and watch this film, and we will be right back with you guys. I'm curious, actually. How long is this movie and what is it rated? So the movie is rated PG for thematic elements, including a brawl, which one of those things, again, like just just one brawl includes a brawl. And uh, yeah, for the runtime, it is an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, that's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's a quick in and out. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I got a lot of great facts here. So uh, it's going to be a great time. So yeah, be back in just a second for you guys. And we're back from watching The Greatest Showman. Yeah, I enjoyed that movie, but let's not talk about me right now since I've seen it already. Let's go uh, Robbie E. Rocky. How about that? Yeah, that could work. All right, Robbie, take it away. So it wasn't a bad movie. Like I, I did enjoy it, but it is very much kind of, I don't want to say like a cliche musical, but everything felt like it just had like a huge filter on it the entire time. Like it was a very beautifully shot movie and a very well acted movie, but it felt like there was a whole big thing happening in the background that just was unspoken of because it's just like, oh, don't worry about all this bad stuff happening over here. Just pay attention to the nice stuff over here. That's definitely what they did. Yeah. <laughs> But all like, all in all, in a very theater-esque experience, it was an enjoyable movie, and it was fun to watch, and it is a feel-good movie, especially in harsh times. Sometimes it's good to have like a nice little feel-good movie like this one, even if it is, like, in some cases, because like, that's something that was in the back of my mind the entire time with you saying about how P.T. Barnum, or J-Tape, or whatever his name. P.T. Barnum, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah about how he yeah. was actually just like a bad person in real life, and so like this feels like it was just kind of rose-colored glasses version of him yeah i um i actually while watching this speaking of the the light-hearted of pt barnum <laughs> i while watching this i was like well let's see how he got his startup and i kid you not article i was reading said he got his startup when he rented out an enslaved woman for yeah. his show yeah. oh. um for one thousand dollars and then she was actually mostly deaf and blind as well and when she died he actually had hosted a live autopsy to where he put out, to, he charged 50 cents per person to watch the autopsy. Jesus. Um, and then whenever they did the autopsy, he's like, wow, she's half the age that she claimed to be. That's kind of how he got his showmanship start, was doing that. You gotta love this lighthearted family, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, what, where's, the, where's the song for that one? Yeah. Everybody, autopsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they cut that song out, unfortunately. Cut Damn. through the cadaver to find your wildest dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, is, it's, is this in the Schneider cut of the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Rob Schneider cut. <laughs> it is something that was in the back of my mind of how it was kind of a glorification of like, like think of the good things he did kind of movie, even though like it just kind of shows that like it doesn't like try to say it's based on a true story or anything. And it does say in the credits that it is a very much a dramatization of just the idea of him more than it was of what he actually did. But um, all in all, you take that away. It, it's, you know, it's still an enjoyable musical. It's kind of, it's it's a feel-good movie. I would say, like, 
if I had to like, you know, buy stream rented or something like that, I'd say this is something that like if you're looking for a feel good movie. I'd say it's at least worth a watch for like something for you to just kind of like, you know, get your spirits up. And so it's, I'd say at least like a stream or a rent for me. Okay. Um, E, let's head on over to you. It's all right. Um, it's a very theatrical movie. Yeah. In the most theatrical sense. Um, I don't ever see myself desiring to watch it again. Honestly. Interesting. This is going to be a hot take. I can't remember any of the songs. None of them stuck to me. Okay. I think I'm the opposite, but okay. Yeah. Like, that's why I say I think it's a hot take because everyone, when they talk about these, they talk about the songs and, like, they're fine. They just really, like, just scream theater song to me. And I think that's kind of a lot of it. The stories, whatever, it's it's basically half a love story. And I've said many of times on this podcast, that's not my jam. No, no, it isn't. Yeah. That's not really your thing at all. I feel like 80% of the movies that we talk about on here just isn't your jam. Like, they're not bad movies. They're just not ease jam. Well, here, here's a here's a secret that you might not realize unless you dislike romance like me. 90% of every movie has some stupid romance plot somewhere because they feel like they have to. Yeah. Romance is generally fairly relatable. <laughs> uh, like, so I didn't really care about that. Um, The main character's interesting. I don't like him, but he's interesting. Okay. He doesn't, I mean, the movie, despite what it claims, I would say the movie doesn't paint him as a likable person anyways. I don't think they paint him as likable, but they don't necessarily paint the brush of him as the outright villain that he really was. Yeah. Right. If you're the kind of person who just wants to go watch a movie, you don't want anything else, you just want to watch a movie, eat some popcorn, and then go to dinner, you don't really want to think that much about the movie afterwards, I'd say this is kind of that kind of movie. Cheese whiz for the brain. I wouldn't even... No, I think it has a little bit more than that, but it's a popcorn movie is how I would yeah. describe it. Um, I'm going to invent a new thing. This is a movie to go to the theater to see and then never again. That is the That's the rating I give it. Okay, is, that's a new thing then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't either. <laughs> but that's my rating. This is a movie you should sense. see premium prices for and never think about. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> what, it's, it's like a fa- it's a family movie. Okay. That's that's my rating. Rocky. I don't really have an opinion on the movie, honestly. I mean, it it looked nice. I thought I thought like the plot went too quick. Things happened too quickly. I I ended up watching like 3 fourths of the way and everything just seemed like a like a like an outline. Maybe that was because I wasn't interested in the movie. I was like, oh, this this part came too quick. So, I don't know. It was okay. Um, I, I thought a lot of the songs were kind of lame. That they were they were too hearty, I guess. Hardy? Um, I can't think of the word right now. It's like... Um, Ham-fisted? No, it's like when you're over... Maybe overzealous. They're maybe a bit overzealous with the things they're talking about to the point where all of a sudden the themes themselves didn't really mean anything to me because they're, they're so uh, caught up in the caricature of it. Would you say that they're a bit showmanshipy over everything else? I don't know. Maybe? <laughs> you gotta kind of expect it for a movie called The Greatest Showman. That yeah, yeah, but I mean, that can't, just, that can't be a justification for crappy songs. Like, well, hey, it fits the, the title of the movie. I mean... I'll get to my opinions on this in a moment. No, we're going to skip you, actually. Sorry. Okay. We're going straight into Yeah, we're, we're not interested in hearing good things about this. <laughs> Dry's going to defend this movie, and we're just going to shred it to pieces. It's, it's like you don't even know what cancel culture is. Yeah. yeah. Come on. We're canceling... <laughs> we're canceling J.P. German. What's it? P.J. Per, 
PJ Perkinson. What? Birmingham. Birmingham. PT Barnum. PT Barnum. (laughs) (laughs) It was okay. It was it was okay. There were some parts I found myself humming along because the songs were catchy, and there's some parts and there's there's a there's a pretty decent uh, lesson in the story. But I mean, overall, it's I don't know, man. It's just I don't like it. I didn't like it. Okay. Whether it's I can't I I I I don't think this is a great movie. It could be a good movie. I'm definitely sure it's not a great movie, but it might be an okay movie. It's again just not my kind of movie, and I that's I guess that's my opinion. Okay, so and, uh, stream it, pass it, bop it, twist it, pull it, bop it. All right, Z- <laughs> um, I guess you know what it's it's I wouldn't say it's a pass. I don't. I don't think it's a. It's not something like oh please please don't watch this movie. This you might get some enjoyment from seeing this movie. I I didn't feel like my my hour forty five was robbed. I didn't come feeling like I was cheated. It just wasn't my thing. So I would see it. I guess suggest yeah. to see it. So like a stream or a rent maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stream it. Rent it. No. Well. Uh, yeah, I guess rent it, maybe. <laughs> Stream it if you can. Rent it if you have to. <laughs> All right. Um, and yeah. All right, as... and now it's time for the spoiler section. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, as for me, I I was really, really surprised by this movie, honestly. I so This movie came out whenever I first got that movie pass thing, when it was nine ninety five. See, one movie every day. Yeah, for... when they decided on a price that you literally would have to not see a movie to actually get them any money yeah yeah yeah. it was great i saw a movie literally every day for like two months <laughs> um even movies i had no interest in going into like the greatest showman i was living with e and his family at the time when this movie oh, came out and they were trying to sell that house that they were in oh yeah and so sucks. i had to just not be in the house for a while i was like okay i have to not be in the house i'll just go see whatever and the nearest showtime for me was the greatest showman it was something that i had seen a couple trailers for had literally zero interest in i went into it and then yeah, so that opening song hits you, The Greatest Showman, with the title song, and in the theater, that bass hit so hard, and it was such a thing I wasn't expecting from what the trailers had shown, that it actually took me by surprise, because it wasn't the type of thing that I was expecting at all. I was expecting a Disney fanfare thing, they're going to talk for 10 minutes, going to be a song, talk for 10 minutes, going to be a song, and it wasn't that. It was a musical-ass musical, and the more I got into it, the catchier the songs were, and the better that the message was, and the things that it was trying to convey... Knowing what I know about P.T. Barnum, obviously, it was, uh, you know, full of lies. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's a pretty lie is what it is. It is. Fits his character. Yes, that's, yeah. I guess I'll throw this in here, whatever. Yeah, so P.T. Barnum was a man that was known for making all of the ugly things around him try and look as beautiful as possible. Especially himself. So much so to the point to where he wrote his autobiography for himself <laughs> twice, and when he wrote it the second time, he literally got all of the copies off the shelves of his first autobiography and burned them all. Because that was not the way he wanted to show himself. He wanted to show himself in the best light, in the prettiest way possible. And so something that I commend the director for on this, as well as the writers, is that he was trying to convey the message that Barnum was always trying to convey without all of the ugliness that Barnum had attached to him. It was like, show the best light of everything possible, bring them in with a pretty lie, and tell them an amazing truth. And that's what he did. He wanted to honor the memory of P.T. Barnum, who was a miserable human being in real life, but the messages that he conveyed to his audience and the public were actually quite nice. 
And so that's what he wanted to do. In his words, he wanted to make a movie that P.T. Barnum himself would have loved to have made, made about himself. And I think that's what this does. It's pomp and circumstance and loud and bombastic and it is showy as all hell before everything else. And then the director and writers happen to also slip a message in of inclusivity and anti-racism and a whole bunch of things like that that are are really touching, especially in times like we're dealing with right now. Right. I think that they managed to do a lot of things. And yeah, I, I went into this movie the very first time in theaters being surprised and thinking that the movie was in fact good. Not great. But then I rewatched it and I was like, okay, that's that's better than I remember it being. And the musical numbers are pretty catchy. And then I started listening to them on my own until I eventually bought it um, on 4K quite recently. And um, it looks amazing in 4K. A lot of the effects they did are amazing. Just so much about this movie is more than I had ever bargained for when I went into it knowing nothing. And I think that's kind of what's so amazing about this is that it is a bright, shiny, beautiful thing that doesn't to be beautiful doesn't doesn't deserve to be beautiful for the subject matter that it's actually about. Right. So yeah, it's a it's a buy for me, personally. Okay. I highly recommend. And I will say one thing too, what you're saying about how like the bass hit in the theater. Uh one thing it did say at the very end is it showed the gear that they used for it, and I guess this movie the audio was shot in Dolby Atmos. Yep. Which means that if you have a a sound system that actually you know, uses Dolby Atmos. I'm pretty sure this movie would sound super amazing either one in theaters or two, if you have, you know, a $900 sound system that has Dolby Atmos. Yeah. It's, uh, the music's really great. Sounds great in surround sound. Sound great in theaters. I imagine Atmos sounds amazing as well. It's, uh, yeah, it's really good. And yeah, that is one thing I was saying to this movie. It's shot very well. It is a very beautiful movie to watch. It has a great sound signature to it. It has great musical numbers. It's catchy and everything too. But like I said, I think that was part of the problem for me is like I kind of watched that movie realizing it was a beautiful lie. Yeah, it's kind of of what it is. I don't know. It felt like a bloated whale that had washed (laughs) up on the the shore. But they put flowers on the whale. <laughs> look look how bloated this whale is. Um, I know. I, 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 I think for it. like a lot of reasons for like Rocky's hate is that it's a musical ass musical. Like yeah. all the story happens in the musical numbers and everything outside of that is just to get to the next musical number. I'll be honest, I don't actually think it's that because there are some of the some of the parts of the musical I did think was catchy. I think I can't get past the lie. I I think the gratuity is what bothers me. That's and I, fair. I think it, yeah. it, it ruins it. So everything they do, I'm hypercritical. Like, like if this is going to be a lie, then it needs to be the very best. So I, I, I was very critical of this movie because, because of the bloatedness. You that's know, fair. That's fair. But yeah, uh, that's everybody's opinion here. Um, I guess that means it's time to move on to spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie yet and you want to watch the movie, Robbie, where can they watch this movie? So there are all the usual suspects to watch this movie. There's, you know, Amazon Prime, YouTube, Google Play, and Vudu, all for $3.99 here in the U.S. However, if you have a Hulu subscription, you should be able to watch it there. And also, if you have a Sling TV subscription, you should be able to watch it there. I feel like I need to do a really quick check, because Hulu, once again, I feel like is a beautiful lie, because they're just attached to everything to make sure that it actually is what it says it is. You need a uh, live... TV subscription to watch okay. it with Hulu. So you can watch it on Hulu, but you need to have the Hulu that costs 50 bucks a month. 
It's also listed on here as biography movie? Fuck off. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I had to second that motion with E about the fuck off. Yeah. His biography as fucking Disney's Pocahontas, baby. And then if you look it up on uh if you look it up on Google, it says it's a musical drama. Cool. Which is a lot more accurate. That's way more accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you want to go and watch this movie or even listen to the albums, honestly, um, it's all on Spotify. Super easy to find the original cast singing it all. There's reimaginings of all the songs, everything like that. You've heard two or three of them on the radio tons and tons of times if you listen to that at all. A couple of these songs became huge hits. But yeah, we're going to go into spoilers. Hopefully you join us for that. That'd be great. If not, that's cool too. So, like I mentioned in the non-spoilery portion, I honestly think this movie starts off really amazingly, especially for a musical, because it comes out and it's just, bam, Greatest Showman, it's super bassy, kind of punches you in the face with what it is, and it's just music, basically, for like the first 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. It's very musical, it's very, it starts off with just, you know, a man sitting underneath the stages, and like, it has, like you said, that bass of, almost like the We Will Rock You kind of thing, because you have the, um... You have the audience members doing like the bump, bump. Yeah, the full, their... that's, that's the effect they were going for. The full stadium thing of like audiences involved, yeah. everybody's there for it. Kind of like if you were in a theater watching this happening and Hugh Jackman came out with our, you know, the ladies and gentlemen, this is where you want to be. And then, yeah, like, like that'd be great. And he had if he crowd, did that and he every, had... every time. <laughs> <laughs> and he just like actually had the crowd just like, you know, doing the bump, bump while he was doing it to start it off. And then it goes from him just kind of humbly singing to like this huge musical number that's very extravagant. Yeah. It's uh it's honestly a really really great way to start the movie off. I guess let's go through an overview of the plot real quick. It starts off in, at the end of the story, like many stories do, and you get this big bombastic intro with the song Greatest Showman. And then it transitions to him as a kid and you get to see him growing up. He was very poor, meets the love of his life when he's a kid. His dad yeah. ended up dying. I will say this about the beginning, though. Like, the very beginning of it, I didn't take it as showing the end of the movie. I sh- or I kind of viewed it as him or him as a kid, you know, growing up poor, of what he wanted to be whenever he grew up. Like, this is the dream that he had for himself. And then him thinking about this dream and imagining it, all while looking looking down at his shoes that are falling apart. Yeah, it can definitely be like, That's kind of how too. I saw it, and more of that than I saw it as showing the end of the movie, even though it kind of does show the end of the movie at the beginning. Yeah. Um... And falls in love with his girl, and dad doesn't like it. He ends up being poor for a really long time, and this is you get to see his first kind of glimpse into what it is to be. Um, what's the term I should use for this? Because I don't want to call them freaks. Cause that's offensive. Like that's what they were called. Oh, in the oh, day. oh. Yeah. unique people, as they called it in the movie. Yeah, we'll call them unique people. Um, his first glimpse of quote unquote unique people. Um, was... and he steals bread, gets caught, gets the bread stolen from him, and a unique person. Gives him an apple and handout. And, like, you get to see this uh, in the movie a bunch. It's it's seen that, like, this was kind of his turning point from trying to be a good person. In the movie. Yeah. P.T. Barnum in real life. call them unique people? Yeah, sure. It's just, it's just weird. We don't have to, we don't have to go from, like, one polar opposite to the next. Can we, the cast, his, his employees, anything I mean, besides what? either unique people or freaks? <laughs> I mean, later, sure, from this point, we could call performers at this point. Performers yeah. is a good one. They are performers. They are? Okay. New performers. Unique people makes me feel like I'm like a <laughs> kindergarten teacher tending to them. 
<laughs> I think that's kind of what the movie wants you to think, too. It does kind of have that feel of, like, we're not handicapped, we're handicapable, kind of. Well, yeah, exactly. So if they're, if they're capable, then I'm not going to call them unique people. I'm going to call them performers, because that's what I would yeah, call anybody yeah. else. Okay, we'll go yeah. performers. Yeah. yeah. Gives him an apple and feeds him, and he gets this glimpse of, of good-naturedness, I guess. Um, well, he's a little like, fun fuck fact. that, I don't need that. <laughs> In real life, yeah. But yeah, the actress who gave him the apple as a handout, that that's just her. Uh it's not prosthetics at all. That's she's apparently a really amazing person and she brought a lot of light to the set and she just kinda hung around a lot. Yeah. She was just kinda there. So they put her on. Not an actress at all. And from there he ends up going and working on the railroad and it transitions him being an adult, ends up getting the girl of his dreams, have some kids, a whole bunch of musical numbers. Yeah, mm-hmm. it kind of shows that he's almost working like a desk job and like, you know, for a shipping company that then ends up failing and yep. does the whole like, oh, well, apparently I'm not very good at this job. I don't think I'm very good at any job kind of thing of like showing that he's done everything that he can to try to support his family. Which that's fairly accurate for actual P.T. Barnum as well. Um, Actual P.T. Barnum looked like a fat old dude because yeah. he I, was I, a fat old dude. Yeah, I saw a picture of what he looked like and uh, he... He looked a lot more like, I guess you can say, an overweight uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, like the clown hair that you like think of when you think of clowns, like bald in the middle and then hair sticking out from the sides. That's what P.T. Barnum looked like. Yeah. Like, actually, though. <laughs> I guess I'll throw this in there, too. He was actually 60 when he started the circus. Jesus. So, like, being a young man was definitely not how he started this off. He had tried tons and tons of businesses. He was actually in politics for a long time as well before he even started the circus. Oddly enough, which is weird... He ended up making a speech about anti-racism to Congress, um, which he obviously did not actually care, it seems, because the whole him having his own slave thing. So is this how he got out of politics? Yeah, basically. Okay. It say, basically is. I did see a little bit about that whenever I pulled like you know, pulled up a picture, pulled up the Wikipedia article of like he started off as a Democrat politics and then eventually moved on to Republican yep. later on in his life. He was a swindler. He would do whatever got him the most attention and the most money. Um, that's just kind of who he was. It's He was a bad person. But in the movie, um, he gets fired from this job, goes home, sees his kids. It's a very beautiful scene. We'll talk about that later. Ends up buying a circus off of a false loan. Yeah, he stole the defunct paper that says that the company had a bunch of ships. He just stole that. And and he used that as collateral to get loans for the museum that he opens, which ends up being like a wax museum about oddities and horrible things, basically. Uh, There's there's an important, a few important things that I feel like we need to cover only because it does play into one of the big themes of this movie. And I, I might just take it back just a little bit when he was a boy that he worked in the work with that guy in that mansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, where that where with where the woman that he would eventually marry, she was the daughter of the man who owned that mansion, and so he saw her, and she was in an entirely different life. And there's a scene where he makes a joke, and she laughs, and the father of this of his future wife pretty much smacks the shit out of him. Not yeah. even pretty much; um, he literally just does. He just smacks the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, and, and a, a, a sort of a a difference in class is drawn. And when he grows up, you know, he works really hard, um, like, you know, that whole montage thing. And he does end up marrying this this um, this woman. 
charity. And at this point in the time uh, where he's working at this at this job that gets uh, that basically goes bankrupt, um, it's important to note that she is super happy with the life they have, regardless of what he's doing. Yeah, that she yeah. is very contented. With this, this is going to be a, an important setup yeah. for what happens next. So you make a good point. She is extremely happy. Um, throughout the movie, she even goes on to say, "Like I don't need everything you're doing. All I wanted was the man I loved." Yeah, which is actually, I think, a pretty beautiful line. Which, uh, whenever he's, you know, after he loses his job and he goes and talks to his daughter, his twin daughters, and his wife, he does have his little Da Vinci wish machine that he has all of them make a wish on, and the one thing his wife wishes for is happiness for everybody. For everybody. Wait, are they? Spe- I feel like they're not supposed to be twins. I mean, they have different color hair, and they definitely look different, and they are definitely shorter and taller from each other. I was just going to go with it, but I don't think they're supposed to be twins. <laughs> but he's very he's very discontent with what happened. She doesn't seem to care, and it is because of what was established about his role versus the role she grew up in. He already feels very inadequate to play this part. So this... he You know, he is chasing that dream because it's, it's more than just a dream... There's this, there's this idea of being transformed into being the man that she deserves to be with, which later as the movie, that, that will change when he actually, you know, succeeds. But at that moment, that's what it seems to me is going on, which will catalyze into events further as the story goes. Yeah, yeah. So he has this museum and nothing's going well. Business isn't going well. Hand out flyers. Nothing's working. His kids tell him like, hey... You need something more fantastical. Like, everything there is boring and dead and old. Like, you need something cool, like a unicorn or, like, a mermaid. Well, they also said you need something that's alive in there because everything in there is dead. Yeah. Which, fun fact, the mermaid thing, he kind of did that, actually. Did he just find a seal and then sew half a dead body on top of it? <laughs> um, you're not far off. Oh, Jesus. I, I expected Pretty not close. to be. Yeah. In 1842, Barnum introduced his first major hoax, which was a body of a monkey and the tail of a fish known as the Fiji Mermaid. He actually got it from a fellow museum owner. Wow. Yeah, there are pictures of this thing out there, and it looks fucking disgusting. Um, It looks like a fucking nightmarish creature. Which was um awful for people with mermaid fetishes, because this was something that you saw and you realized very quickly... That you did not want to fuck this. <laughs> what is this? I can't masturbate to this. <laughs> You'd be surprised at the tenacity of some people. Fair. <laughs> I mean, this is also coming out of the Victorian ages where they had to have, you know, leg covers so that way guys wouldn't masturbate to table legs. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that was a real thing. That's the reason why there's uh, leg covers <laughs> on tables. You're fucking with me. No, I'm serious. That was a thing in the Victorian ages. Fucking <laughs> Let's get back to the movie. So yeah, this is when he goes on his hunt for all of the uh, performers. And this is when you get a a glimpse of Tom Thumb earlier. This is when he gets the idea, the little short guy. He goes and recruits Tom Thumb, goes and gets the bearded lady. And then there is a huge montage sequence of him recruiting everybody, which this montage sequence in the movie, I think is actually really fun because when he's like at the table and talking to everybody and greeting everybody, that was all in one shot. They literally had enough money to do one still take. Wow. And so it was just Hugh Jackman there. They didn't have it scripted at all. 
everything that was said and done is completely improv because they literally had enough money for like 15 minutes to do that scene. <laughs> so people would walk up, do their thing, be like, okay, next. And they would just go on to the next person. Oh, this is where you really start to see, oh yeah, he's just straight up a con artist. Yeah, because um, for the tall man, it's just a kind of tall guy with stilts on. For the world's fattest man, he lies like over 250 pounds about what his actual weight is. The bearded woman, I mean, yet yeah, does have a beard, but like, whatever. Oh, it's the Victorian era. Apparently having tattoos is insane, too. Yeah. <laughs> Tattooed man. Um, One of the bigger ones that have a huge thing in the story is there is a black woman and, or black sister and brother um, duo. Yeah. And they trapeze are artists. trapeze artists. Which, at the time, uh, having black people in your show, huge no-no, because, you know, racism and slavery. And so, yeah, you get to see him recruiting all these people and hiring all of them. The tall guy, instead of him being, what was it? The Irish giant. Yeah. Because he he has, like, a very Russian name. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's very Russian. He's like, you know what? I think you're Irish. So, that's what he is now. I think it's one of those things, because it shows how much of a con man he is, but if you, you know, put a little bit of Vaseline on the lens, it also shows him celebrating all of their differences instead of condemning them about it. Which yes. I think is what they're probably going for for that scene. But you also see a bit yeah. of that con man in there during this celebration of diversity. I think a big theme about this, too, is that prior to this, when he purchased... Because he had purchased the building at this point, right? Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. His, his building. He had uh, done a walkthrough with his family, and he had all these uh, little, you know, objects, uh, like a stuffed giraffe and stuff, and he would... He would sell it, and so the the idea is that he can see beyond what just is. He can see the dream behind something, which then you kind of see that mentality reflected on these individuals who have been largely outcasted by society, and what he sees is this this grander vision that they can be a part of, which also will play into things that happen down the road. Yeah. So he starts the show. He's like, Every, everybody's waiting for you guys out there. And everybody sees all of them, and everybody thinks they're freaks, but all the kids, of course, because kids are innocent, they see all of them, and they're like, oh, this is all just amazing stuff, this is great. Mm. Um, Which is what the uh, director was going for, is that he thinks it's, I forget the words he used, he thinks it's magical, I think, though, how children see the world, because they don't see it through the filter of, like, what adults have gone through in all their lives. They just see it through, like, this is what this is, so this must be amazing. Pure eyes of the innocent children kind of thing. Yeah, basically. So that's kind of what the director went for throughout the whole thing was that but yeah so it's the first day of the performance and they all perform it ends up going over quite well uh they sing the song come alive during all of this uh mostly good this is i think one of the more forgettable ones but it introduces kind of an aspect of the world for this during all of the first big showings there is a theater critic there and he is not impressed and uh this is the rocky of the movie (laughs) just a man who just doesn't understand why people are enjoying it it's a man who, if he doesn't enjoy something, it's like, I don't enjoy it. And for some reason, that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, He's a fuddy-duddy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not very fair. <laughs> I'd at least be one of the people in in the circus. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, what well, is your act? But apparently everyone's a singer. That's true. I can. I actually want to fit in well. Everyone sings to you goddamn good. It's like, Jesus, I'm just a fucking outcast. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there. So, does um the brother of the the brother trapeze does he ever really sing? Uh, I mean, he sings in the groups. Okay, I he feel, doesn't have his own song though. Yeah, I felt like yeah, he never really got to sing. He he's kind of just a side character in all of this. It feels like there he was supposed to have more lines. Um, the albino girl was supposed. To, she had actually a lot of talking lines, even some with Hugh Jackman. 
Um, that just all got cut due to time and budget and all kinds of stuff. Time, sure. I tisk, mean, tisk. the way that they got around a lot of things with the budget on this is kind of amazing. Which they asked is... for a loan and used fake oil. <laughs> to... I mean, I, I, so... I was going to say, this movie looked like it had a very high budget. No. It had an extremely low budget yeah. for the kind of movie it was. The way that they got around that was, and like why everything looks so grand, is because one of the people, one of the set designers is like, we literally can't go and rent these mansions, and we don't have the money for a CGI mansion. So they 3D printed miniatures. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The director just had a 3D printer in his garage, and so they 3D printed miniatures and hand-carved them and stuff like that. And so like all of the big exterior shots and like all the train shots, basically, are all miniatures that they got um, put, that the actors got visual effects placed into. Wow. So like at the end of the movie, whenever you see Hugh Jackman running onto that train, he's just running on to a moving platform. Not green screen, by the way, because he was very, very proud of this director was. There is not a single green screen used for the entire movie. Everything is matte paintings or miniatures. There are visual effects later added on, but there's not a single green screen. Well, those are, you know, I'll commend him for that. I think in Hollywood we need more miniatures and matte paintings, quite frankly. Yeah, so like literally every exterior of a building is a miniature. A lot of the scenes where you see them like standing on, those are also miniatures that they were visual effects placed into. So when they have that little dollhouse in the thing, is that a miniature in a miniature? Yep. Nice. (laughs) Um, One of the miniatures that I think are really difficult to spot, actually, is the ballet scene um, in the movie. Whenever, I guess we'll, we'll, I'll get into that in a second. Or we're basically into that. They become very successful from the circus. Makes a lot of money. Ends up buying a mansion that he was playing in when they were kids with Charity, uh, the wife. And the daughter earlier on in the movie wishes for ballet slippers. He gets the ballet slippers for her. And she twirls ballet. And that is actually a in-camera transition. To the right in that mansion. Um, well, it wasn't a mansion. It was a set they couldn't afford a mansion. They just had that black curtain and the other ballet people on there. So she twirls into that set. And then when it zooms out, their visual effects placed into a miniature of a stage play. It's just kind of a cool shot. That is a pretty cool shot. So yeah, they're very rich and successful at this point, but they're seen as a lower class because circus, after the ballet thing, all the little girls are teasing the other girl. Yeah, it's a like thing. peanuts. There's that, um... Yeah, well, oh, what's that smell? Oh, I know what it is. Peanuts! <laughs> <laughs> That's how they all laugh, yeah. You know how little girls laugh. <laughs> That's exactly how little girls laugh. Yeah, because of that, the little daughter's like, I'm not going to ballet anymore. Yeah, and you're like, what do you mean? You're like the best one out there. Like, you're so talented. Don't you think I spot talent? But like, no, whatever. Actually, Tur- something I kind of, that I find interesting is because of like how others treat her, she also sees circus as like beneath. Yeah. She's like, ah, you just run a circus. It's not like ballet where you need a bajillion years. Yeah. And he's like, well, that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> the father takes offense to it because even his daughter is, in his eyes, not seeing him as uh, the higher class that he actually is. Yeah. It's uh, like he's a con man. It's like he's a con man. But, but at this ballet, he is almost, he, the it character of Carlisle is introduced, played by Zac Efron. Um, he's like, oh, he's the guy around town. He gets all the plays going. Goes home, has a talk with his wife, saying, like, all I ever need is you. I don't want all of this stuff. Our daughter wants to quit ballet. She's like, let her quit ballet then. She doesn't like it. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I, that's, I mean, that vote, like, yeah, don't, yeah. So. don't make your kid do something you don't want to do. I don't know if you're getting to this, but it's one thing that I thought about, too, is, like, with the critics saying bad things about his show, about how it's a big humbug and everything, and then he's just, like, he kind of doubles down on it, too, of, like, oh, well, anyone who brings in that flyer, they get it half off on their ticket, and, like, kind of doubles down of like, oh yeah, this is that big humbug show that the critic talked yeah. about. We're going to yeah. call it what it is. He yeah. leans into it. Yeah. Yeah, like the critic says it's a circus. And he's like, 
cool we're a circus yeah he's like yeah. that's got a nice ring to it which is an interesting thing about uh barnum was he actually when people would stop talking about his circus in real life he would spread bad publicity about himself because he knew bad publicity was more viral than good publicity and it didn't matter as long as you're being talked about yeah he actually also like owned reporters it's said that he had on a payroll 26 reporters that he could at any time make write or take pictures on any subject he wanted. Wow. Because that's what he did. <laughs> I feel like he's one of the pioneers of all publicity is good publicity. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. He was a bad person. <laughs> I mean, it's something that like whenever someone does something shitty and they write bad articles about them, that's how they double down on being written bad things about is like, hey, all publicity is good publicity. Oh, companies revel in that shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They'll make the worst things and be like, yep, we did it. <laughs> they Talk fucking loved, they loved when people started burning their shit because it meant people were talking about them. And buying it. Yeah. 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 Like, fuck it. Who cares? You're still, it's still working. You're still yeah. buying the product. He ends up, because all this, because his daughter thinking that she's lower class, he's like, well, I need to do higher class stuff then. So people look at me as I'm a higher goes and actually introduces himself to Carlisle, again, played by Zac Efron. And this is my favorite song in the entire movie, The Other Side. So you actually showed me this song before I even watched this movie. Yeah, I honestly, genuinely love this song. I think it's the best song in the movie. It's also something that only works in context in the movie. Like, you can't listen to this song on the radio. I mean, you could. You could, but it's... This is a good song. This is a good fucking song. It's really good. And not only that, I love the choreography for this one. Oh, the choreography yeah, was great. really great. Uh, it's one of those things I kept on talking about during the movie, too, is uh, the bartender who he's very much in the background, but he's very present, even though he's just a background character yeah. for this song. Funny you say that. That is the choreographer for this song. Nice. Right. They actually needed him in there because the choreography was fucking insanely complicated because all of like the the snaps and the hitting on the glasses on everything and all the tapping, that was done in scene. So he needed to be there to help give cues. He was their metronome. Basically. And he was there to like guide them through it because it was an incredibly complicated scene because so much of the music relies on the sound effects from the scene. I mean, I would say this is probably my favorite scene of the movie too. It's so good. It's pretty good. So, so good. It's just, as the flow to it is just amazing. Yeah. Uh, I definitely recommend going and watching a clip from this one. Yeah. It's kind of the perfect encapsulation of this movie, I think. I, don't, I mean, I don't remember this song, but I definitely remember it most of the songs I don't remember from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but during the song, they eventually make a deal. Barnum is able to get Carlisle onto his side. He's going to give him 10% of the, off, of the box office from every night. And he's in. He's going to introduce him to all the highfalutin people and get him yeah. into higher entertainment. Um, his first thing that we learned that he does is he pulls some strings to go and introduce them to the Queen. Of England. Of England. Yeah. Um. Which I may, maybe you guys don't know this. It wasn't Carlisle. He did have another partner. P. T. Barnum did. I don't know why they didn't just use his name. Maybe they couldn't get the rights for it. But there was a Carlisle figure in P. T. Barnum's life. He actually did get P. T. Barnum and Tom Thumb to meet the Queen. It was just those two because they were on tour. Um. And that is actually where they met Jenny Lynn. But yeah, like all the other performers didn't get to go. Obviously. But Tom Thumb and P.T. Barnum did. Tom Thumb, in real life, was basically P.T. Barnum's uh, right-hand man for everything. Hmm. In a really horrible, shitty way that I guess I should bring up now, since he's uh, the subject of this. P.T. Barnum adopted Tom Thumb when he was four years old. And he had him play much, much older people. Had him play Vikings and all that kind of stuff. And by the age of five, he was drinking. And seven and eight, he was smoking cigarettes and cigars because he was playing older people that were just short. 
which I guess makes sense why they gave uh why they gave the this actor such a deep voice for this role. It, it felt out of place for how deep his voice was. That entire character, the director ended up really not liking for the movie <laughs> because they got an actor that was short, but not as short as Tom Thumb was. Um, in inches, Tom Thumb was about three five in real life. The guy who played him, played Tom Thumb in the movie, was four two, and so they made him the guy who played Tom Thumb be on his knees the whole time, mm. which you can tell. Yeah, um, it's pretty bad VFX shots. Even the director and commentary pointed out how bad it looks, and the VFX people told him how horrible it's going to look and how hard it is to do because a short person. Any person, really, isn't supposed to just be on their knees the whole time. Yeah, that's not how legs work. Yeah, so if you notice, in a lot of choreographed scenes, Tom Thumb isn't anywhere in there, and then at the end, for like the big, like, oh, here's everybody doing their pose, Tom Thumb just shows up. Because the actor literally could not do the choreography on his knees. They should have just, like, they should have just kept him there, but, like, just color over the knees. So he's just floating the entire time. That's almost <laughs> essentially what they did, honestly. <laughs> um, if you look at it, it looks really bad. Not only that, but it was an Australian actor who they had playing the part, and since he was an Australian, they dubbed him over with another actor. Oh, yeah, good. I, you could tell he was being dubbed over. Yeah, like that entire character, just poor decision after poor decision was made with him. They should have just kept him four foot two. Yeah, honestly, it would have been so much easier. Just let him be Australian. Who fucking cares? Anyway, um, so they go meet the Queen, and like I was saying earlier, this is where they meet the opera singer Jenny Lynn. Which, in real life, they did meet Jenny Lynn, and P.T. Barnum really did try to go into the highfalutin side of things and uh, be more high class, as it were. And uh, it didn't really work out, obviously. There was no, in the movie, it goes on for a while, P.T. Barnum ends up abandoning the circus to go and do these tours, which basically, in the movie, bankrupt him. In real life, it did not bankrupt him. He made what is equivalent to $15 million off of these shows in 2019 monies. Damn. Yeah, he made a lot of money off of this. But what did happen is Jenny Lynn did, in fact, cancel the tour. And she actually went on tour on her own. Because she's like, I don't need you. I can just do this on my own. And so even from the di- things that he sh- that he did do, he made that $15 million. That was without doing all the shows that were even planned. She still toured for another year after mm-hmm. she left P.T. Barnum behind. She named it after a whole different thing and everything else, too. Well, there's all so there's also... Um... There's also What's the that guy's story? name? Champagne Man? Amen. Zac Efron. Oh, Carlisle. Carlisle. There's a, there's a subplot where he falls in love with the trapeze sister. Annie. Annie. Or Anne, I don't know. You know, That's there. It is in the rest of the movie. It's technically important. It is important to the plot. This is where you get the anti-racism uh, thing, which I think well, is- Well, other than the anti-racism thing that was already in the movie. Yeah, but this is more of like a, hey, don't be racist, like straight up, instead of like, hey, people are racist, kind of thing. Because this is a dude, all of Carlisle's story in the movie is that he falls in love with a black woman, and since it is that time, period of United States history, he is publicly shamed, like he's afraid to be seen with her in public, he's holding her hand, he gets seen, so he like pulls away, he goes to the opera with her, and family shuns him, and that's when he's finally like, fuck it, I'm in love, I'm going to love whoever I want. So another thing, so when they do the first um, opera, all the performers want to, well, they do get to watch, but P.T. Barnum uh, refuses to let them be seen and doesn't let them in his booth and doesn't even let them at the after party. Yeah, he makes them standing room only in the back so nobody can see them. Um, and then when the after party goes to where they can like all celebrate, he says that uh, they're basically not welcome. 
Yeah, he's like, oh, well, you guys have a show, and I'm definitely not fucking you guys over. Yeah, Yeah, which is a it's a conflict that just goes unresolved. Theme that goes back to um, earlier with with the whole sense of being a part of a bigger class. His actual dream was to show some like in the movie. His dream was to take something like that people had never seen before and and make it beautiful. That was what his dream was. Uh, this aspect comes from just you know just a fucking a fucked up childhood, right? So now this is we see him selling his dream, right? Now the people that got him in front of the queen, he's hiding in the back, as if mm-hmm. he's going to jump shark from the thing he actually cares about. So I I think that's important. And he kind of does jump shark from that because at that point Zac Efron is now running the circus basically, and he's doing all the opera shit. Yeah, um, and I'm just going to speed through this so we can hey. talk about the points that we actually care about. Yeah. Because I, d- I definitely didn't mean to go into into detail in order yeah, like yeah. this. Um, after all this, the highfalutin stuff doesn't end up working for him. The protesters end up burning all P.T. Barnum stuff down, which eventually leads to him realizing, like, hey, I was a piece of shit. Uh, I need to get my shit together. Carlisle fronts in the money. They make their own circus, and everything they- is super happy, actually, basically. And it kind of goes with the sense of, like, we don't need a building. We just need a tent, and that's where the whole, like... Maybe he started the whole circus tent thing that they still do to this day. He super did. Yeah. That's literally, that's what he did. Okay. Well, they don't do it now. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, they did for the longest time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, they don't do it now because the people who bought P.T. Barnum Circus, uh, they went bankrupt and extinct in 2017. Yeah. So they don't they exist anymore, actually. And other ones, just people just don't go to circuses anymore, that really. Yeah, business was down. Business like, was way, way down. I was one of the people who actually got to go before they closed, and you could tell it was starting to get kind of not all there. And I think a lot of it's just the more you you can go to the circus a couple times, but you know what's going to happen after the first couple. Right, like there's going to be some trapeze stuff maybe, there's going to be a couple animals, there's going to be a clown doing some goofy stuff, and like yeah. that's a circus. That's yeah, what it is. it's like yeah. it's a cool... St- it's cool to... It's a cool experience, but after that, it's overpriced food, it's overpriced tickets, it's... It's the all this sh- stuff about going to the movie theater, but, like, three times the price. Well, I think on top of that, too, they also started, um, at least within recent years, like, probably say, like, early 90s to now, like, they started showing more of, uh, I guess you can say the darker side of the circus where they're abusing animals and they're oh, yeah. underpaying their staff and I mean, that was doing just, a, just shitty things in general. That was yeah. just a thing that P.T. Barnum always did. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so some plot lines that I want to really go and concentrate on are the things with the... Uh, the lower class kind of thing, or the uh, the others aspect of it. Because throughout the whole movie, you see that there are protesters for the circus. They clearly don't like the circus at all. Yeah. And I guess we should say, they're not protesting like wages or anything. They're protesting the fact that they're there, because they keep calling them freaks and stuff, and don't yeah. want it there. Yeah, they just don't like them. Um, which is a very clear, like, hey, racist kind of uh, Yeah, racist thing. and prejudice. Yeah, mm. just straight up what that storyline is. Which is one of those things of like, if they did the truth of P.T. Barnum, this story just wouldn't be in there. And so I think that's one of those things that, again, he, the director, wanted to say the best things about all of the good stuff and almost nothing about all the bad stuff. Right. And but if P.T. Barnum made this movie, this part would totally be in there. <laughs> and that's yeah, the thing that yeah. I was saying, though, is like I think it kind of shows like how people villainized him, but this movie kind of does the whole like, oh, he wasn't actually a villain. He was actually a really good guy. It was, it was just a dick. He did. Yeah. It's like he was written by P.T. Barnum's ghost. Yeah. Yeah. 
Almost, really. He was um, possessed. The writer was possessed by P.T. Barnum's ghost. I think P.T. Barnum falls into that category of a lot of like historical figures, even, of P.T. Barnum was a great man, but he was not a good man. He did a lot of really great, amazing things and pushed a bunch of showmanship kind of things forward, but as a human being, he really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all of the, uh, the, the, uh, the performers, they're turn i guess they kind of all in one like conglomerate have a character turn of like they are considered freaks in the world and then through the song this is me you get the the turn of like hey fuck you this is me this is who i am love me or don't like i'm not i can't i'm not gonna change for you yeah and then from this point on they just kind of accept who they are and what they are i was kind of i thought at this point they were gonna like leave barnum and just start their own I kind of thought it would, too. That's why I said it felt like, like a that's, subplot that went nowhere. I feel like that should have been where it went, but also that doesn't paint Barnum in the great, good light, and you can't have that, of course. Right, so like that's what it does feel like, is it feels like this would have been the turning point to where they go start their own circus, and like if it wasn't yeah. actually about P.T. Barnum, and then P.T. Barnum goes and crashes and fails, and they succeed, but in order to stick close-ish to history, they make them just sort of stick around, and then later in the movie... They come back to him and be like, "We really love you." Yeah, I don't. Well, yeah, like, but that, the whole point it was a circle. It's a, it's a it's, it's a jerk off. Yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> because that's that's the thing they're selling is, oh, this is P.T. Barnum's vision, right? I mean, his 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 second in command can't remember the dude's name. Carlisle. Um, yeah, Carlisle. Um, not actual. Was that was that his name in the movie? Yeah, that was the name of the movie. His, oh, okay. his actual name is um, Zach Efron. No, that's the actor's name who played Carlo. Goddamn. Yeah, that's his good, actual name. Good old Zacky Zach. You know, yeah. he's running the he's running he's running the the circus, but it shows like it doesn't work. He just doesn't have that thing that uh PT Barnum does. The glimmer right? in so his eye. So that's the whole thing. Like of course, of course the circus people come back to him because it's all about his vision, mm. right? He they care more about his vision than his pursuit of wanting to be something better than he is yeah my thing is like in the end they're all singing like oh we're all a family and stuff but i don't see how barnum's really in that especially when he abandoned them for like a year yeah (laughs) well he abandoned them and then he also abandoned his family and one of the first sights his wife gets of him coming back is oh like you're like there's apparently a thing of like you're with um with jenny while you were away and i think and then she just kind of like oh yeah i forgive you just out of nowhere, almost, through a musical number. That's the magic of musicals. Yeah. It just takes one song and everything's better. Um, I actually really like this song, too, and I really like the choreography of, like, whenever all the performers come back together and be like, hey, we love you. Please come back to the family. Like, we're always family. From Now On is the name of the song. Really love the choreography in this one. And the tone of the song. Like, I've listened to this song on its own a lot. Um, just because, like, I don't know. It's just really nice and uplifting. And, like, it's a false uplifting thing for the movie but if you listen to it as just a song it's yeah, nice and that's what i was saying remove like, all the context yes if you remove the context of the film and pt barnum it's a nice song <laughs> it's a nice beautiful eye it's a nice bit of vaseline on the lens of life yeah um i don't know i i also just really love the choreography and everybody like doing their thing and in the background you can see uh the man on stilts just like pounding the ceiling 
and like yeah, I love that part. That part's amazing. That part's like the drum beat of the song. That's yeah. really good. You just get to see all like the all this dust come off the yeah, ceiling. Too. It's really cool. I actually really like that scene. They probably all die of asbestos poisoning after that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I think where this movie really shines is the musical numbers and the choreography. That is the better part of the movie. I would yeah. not say this movie's sold on its story. <laughs> No, it's not. No. Um, an- another one that uh, I wanted to mention when we were, because uh, I heard you guys talking about it after we got done watching the movie. Actually, when we were watching the movie, you guys were commenting on it. Mm-hmm. Whenever Carlisle and Anne are singing their song and they're falling in love, you guys were like, oh, they're definitely like hurting and hitting each other. Like, yeah, they actually were, though. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, they actually were performing most of their stunts in that scene and actually ramming into each other. Ow. The director was saying they knocked air out of each other multiple times. They <laughs> got a ton of injuries doing that. But, like, yeah, they actually did that. Oh, and good. when Robbie was like, oh, apparently, like, he's a super strong man. He can climb. Like, yeah, that's actually Zac Efron climbing. Yes. He actually is super strong. I, yeah, I will say that because it's one of those, like, if you've watched, like, any of the movies with Zac Efron as an adult, like, the dude's super fucking ripped. Yeah, like, fucking yeah. high school musical. Man, he was going at it on those. <laughs> I would say, like watch the Baywatch movie that he's in like just the I haven't seen the movie but just the fucking promos of it like he was super fucking ripped for that movie I, I feel like I don't I wouldn't like that movie probably but. not <laughs> I like that kind of comedy and I didn't like that movie so if that helps I I didn't I I we did talk about like step by step the story I didn't want to do that I just kind of got stuck in that but yeah. like I mean it's a simply enough story kind of yeah like it is very simple with what it does like you said it mostly cares about the musical numbers and it's almost like plot points just move from one musical to the other. Yeah, like, the parts where they say, like, this is happening is really just an excuse to go to the next musical number. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's fine. That's the part that I genuinely love about this, is the musical numbers. Uh, I really do love almost every song. There is one song that I actually forget is in the movie every single time I've watched it, and I've seen this movie five times, six times now, maybe. I have literally never remembered the song is in there. The song that his wife sings um, whenever he's gone. Isn't that, like, um, technically a duet? It kind of is. It's like a shadow dance scene, and I think the choreography and some, like, that stuff is really good in this. I can't tell you a single lyric that happens in that song that she sings. That's every song for me. <laughs> <laughs> is it Tightrope? Yeah, I yeah, I guess so, honestly. But, yeah, I uh, I don't... I like the choreography, and I like how it cuts back and forth between those, but I really don't think about the song at all. I even looked at the lyrics a second ago, and none of that looks familiar. <laughs> so, like, this song just doesn't register me as even a thing, I guess. So you're like, yep, that's definitely a song. I don't know what any of this says. Yes, I mean, kind it's, of. It's kind of one of those things, especially with, like, an album, or because in a weird way, because it's musical, this is playing through of an album if you will. And there's always going to like, not always, but in a lot of cases, there'll at least be one or two songs you don't like even on your favorite album. Yeah. I would say this, if I were listening to as an album, 95% of it is fucking bangers in a musical sense. Yeah. No, (laughs) I agree with you. Like a lot of the song, like that's the thing about this. That's why I was saying this is a theatrical movie about theatrics because everything about it is bangers and it's meant to like kind of be uplifting and like they said, put you up on your feet while you're listening to it. Bangers and mash. (laughs) I had a couple of fun facts here that I just wanted to go back to on that rooftop scene early on when PT Barnum like has his daughters like wish into the wish machine. Yeah, that I really like that scene. I even like like the leading up to it part it is neat. It's like a very father daughter thing. Yeah, 
I just like it because it feels really sweet and wholesome, honestly, I guess, but in a good way. And a lot of times I'll use the word wholesome as like a derogatory term almost. Because Jiraiya is a sad man. I'm a very sad man. But like, oh no, this is wholesome in a good way. You are a sad man, the one who drinks vodka and cries in the shower? Come on. (laughs) How could you ever imagine? Yeah. That seems like a very happy life to live. Okay, I can't even say that with a straight face. I'm sorry. <laughs> like it's a, it's but, nice. Yeah. Is that practical too? I assume. I mean, all that lighting. Yeah, it's, that's practical. But the thing that I like about it is little girls just saying that actually on set. That's not the track. That's just them singing on set. And they had a little radio earpiece earworm thing in their ear, and the pianist just played it live with them. And mm. so everything you hear there is just live. They got from that day on set. I think that's actually really cool. Yeah, I can agree with that. But yeah, like there are a lot of wholesome scenes and a lot of feel-good scenes in this movie, but it's meant to be, I feel like it's meant to be very much a feel-good movie. Something that like, even if you're sad when you walk into it, you feel better walking out. Yeah. Does this movie make you feel really good, Jiraiya? Uh, For the most part, actually, yeah, it does uplift me. Well, then I apologize for being so acidic about about it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not over here trying to trash the things that make you happy. Why? I do that to everyone all the time. Yeah, he, trying to do. There's a couple movies oh, I, that I really liked that Dry just loves his trash on. Yeah, well, that's well, that's him, though. You gotta be better, <laughs> we have to be better than him. Rocky is above Dariah. <laughs> I'm above. That's actually my demon. I pretend to be really nice, but really I'm just a hyper narcissist. <laughs> I'm, I'm nicer than everyone. I'm better than everyone. <laughs> I was gonna say, like we had like a whole month where I just kind of shat on movies dry. I really liked. Yeah, like yeah. the yeah. February we did anti love all that month. Like those are all movies that I genuinely love and adore and go back to time and time again. There's an entire month of E being like it's a fucking love story. It's boring and yeah. stupid. <laughs> Yeah, but most of those love stories are fucking sad, so it's not like he's going to make you fucking sadder from the sad fucking... No, but I'm saying because this movie genuinely makes you happy. I'm not over here trying to fuck that up. I mean, to be fair, like, before we did uh, this movie, or before The Hunt, with whenever we watched The Deer Hunter, like, that is a very generally loved movie amongst critics and everything, too, and, like, we kind of spent the time sitting here shitting on the movie of, like, all the flaws that it had, because it is, like, it's a it has a very good story and a very good message behind it but they just kind of fumble around with it too much in Again, three hours hunt, of the movie like a dark darker context yeah it's all darker about ptsd content. yeah yeah so it's still dark shit right yeah. <laughs> it's not like you're robbing someone's only harbor of joy i'm not saying this is your only harbor of joy no no this I'm, is my only know. one yeah this is the only time dry is happy <laughs> another fun fact here about songs since we're talking about songs um the writers of this were also the songwriters for la la land they're highly acclaimed. They didn't collaborate on anything except for the very first song, The Greatest Showman. And they didn't collaborate on lyrics for that. They literally just got collaboration help with a beat from Lewis of Macklemore and Lewis. Oh, okay. Before they separated, Lewis, like, he just does all the beats and the DJ yeah. and stuff basically for, he used to for Macklemore. Um, yeah, he came in and, like, the reason why that beat kind of fucking punches you in the face right away is because Ryan Lewis. That's, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that before this week, so... Once again, like I said, when it comes to the songs, this I feel like they've done very, very well on making a very good soundtrack yeah. for this movie. I, th- I think my brain's just broken. I just can't think of these songs at all. I mean, maybe they just didn't hit with you. Maybe they did kind of hit with me. Like, don't get me wrong; like I don't have them like instantly stuck in my head, but I might be. It's something like when I'm sitting at work, I may be thinking about the songs. 
E, what if we're just miserable fucks? Maybe. That, that is fair, <laughs> too. I mean, we are kind of miserable fucks. No, but what if me and E are particularly miserable fucks and just we just don't absorb fucking sunshine? Yeah. And we're like, yeah, this is stupid. I lost my luster back back in uh, 018. Oh, 18? Oh, what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was trying to think of a year. <laughs> That's the one that came back to me. So. Yeah, another fun fact is, I was reading up, I thought there were two people that didn't sing their same songs, but it turns out it was only one actress who didn't sing her own song. Um, Rebecca Ferguson. The wife actually did. I was going to say, I I feel like Michelle Williams, like that would be her singing voice. Yeah, that that was actually her. So the girl who plays the uh, opera singer. Yeah. Which doesn't sing opera also. I just, that's a weird thing to me. I always hate when like things do that. Um, but yeah, her dubbing for that song was done by Lauren Allred, which I don't know who that is, but she has an amazing singing voice. She does have a very amazing singing voice. Yeah, I thought that she was world, like, not world famous, but famous in Europe for being a singer. Yeah. Was how they introduced her. Yeah. Yeah. But he also does say in the movie too, she's like, she's like, oh, I've never seen you, your show. And he's like, oh, well, I've never heard you sing. Yeah. He also doesn't strike me as a man who listens to music. No, no, not so much. <laughs> so The only way he would listen to music is if he were able to make a scheme to where he got money for listening to music. Or singing it, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Another cool thing is that the uh, costumes that for that first thing, uh, for that first big intro of The Grey Showman, and then when they reprise it later for the end of it, a lot of those costumes that are worn are from the actual P.T. Barnum Circus. They lent them over to them to use for that. Was this before or after they went out of business? It was like right before, because production of this was going on right before that happened. They were probably like, oh, we can get some money. (laughs) Probably. But yeah, like, so you see some of the actual P.T. Barnum performers in the background and stuff. There's one that's doing, like, uh, what she was known for was, like, hanging from her chin from a rope thing. Um, You see her in the background at one point. Um, And you see, like, all the classic costumes. Like, if you grew up going to the circus, then you'd be like, oh, that's, like, the actual circus costume. Because it was literally the actual circus costume. It's kind of hard to tell when you're sitting in the stands. Right. And they're also pretty dirty because they fall a lot. But, you know, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as someone who has gone to the circus, I didn't, like, look at it. I was like, oh, yes, the uh, the iconic ringmaster costume way over there, 50 feet down and also far. <laughs> uh, so a couple of little, like, real-life P.T. Barnum things just to show how shitty of a person he is again. <laughs> yes, give us the truth. So a few months after his first wife died, a few months, they were together for a long time, a few months after his first wife died, he married a woman named Nancy Fish, which was um, his friend's daughter. Oh, gross. Whoa. Who was 40 years younger than him. Oh, gross. Yeah. Jesus. He died like four years after marrying her or something like that. Yeah. He's kind of a f- bad uh, person. Yeah. And then just so, you know, he's the guy who did the circus thing, like- kept animals that shouldn't be there um e pointed or robbie and e pointed this out in the movie it's like wow it's kind of weird that they just have like horses painted as zebras and they were talking about that i was like actually yeah like that's actually something pt barnum actually did is he had horses um pull his carriage and he painted them as zebras in real life that's actually a lead paint it's very likely so now that you know that this man is super nice to animals this next part's going to be a huge shocker to you. He opened the first American aquarium. Literally the first aquarium in the United States ever. He opened them. Hmm. And it was all the fishes in the same tank. I have no idea. Are aquariums bad? Yes. 
I mean, it's the same thing as, like, a zoo. Yeah. As you say, not necessarily, but... It it depends who runs the aquarium, but often they give them two small tanks for the actual fish. Um, Often don't feed them enough. A lot of fish don't like people and don't like people tapping the glass all the time. And it's really easy to stress fish out, and they usually don't care. Okay. I mean, well, if you think about, like, bad. maybe elephants shouldn't be in those small cages all the time at a zoo, maybe think sharks shouldn't be in small tanks at the zoo. That's fair. I mean, that's kind of fair. But... <laughs> so, yeah, he's uh, he did that. I don't, I'm just not getting triggered by the aquarium. Like, that doesn't really, that doesn't trigger me. Rocky is just still visibly confused why we care about fish. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, I... they just don't treat him well, basically. It's just a natural habitat kind of thing. Yeah, well, people just suck all around. I mean, let's. I mean, if we're going to get to nitty gritty, then we should all be outraged that we're cutting the balls off all of our pets and then forcing them into these roles because that's also hyper fucked up. It's just you love your pets. That's just my opinion. Well, the difference, like, oh, I spay my pets and oh, I put my, I keep my pets in the kennel the entire time and never let them out, and also barely feed them. I, well, you know that happens a lot with pets, though. Yeah, I mean, and it's yeah, it shitty. Though. And it's, <laughs> it's bad. When we're talking about this guy who swindled people who had a woman's body on fucking fifty cents as he decomposed her, what? As he cadavered her, <laughs> as he did an autopsy on yeah. her. Yeah, like I get like it's a weird thing to end on that as like the super shitty stuff he does. It's just like another note in how shitty of a person it's, yeah, he was. It's not like that. Fucking horrendous. He probably blew up I whales mean, too. Who knows? Look, I I don't feel very passionate about aquariums or zoos. I don't give a fuck. Like they could have never existed, and it wouldn't have changed my life. It's just it's just silly to be so pissed about them. Unless they are doing super fucked up shit, and I know that a lot of them probably do. Yeah, that's. <laughs> so one of the things, another one of the things that I really want to talk about, which I started on earlier and then got distracted, but I think that this is another one of those things to where in actuality. It's uh, not really what P.T. Barnum stood for, even though he did speak out about uh, slavery and stuff like that. But I think the movie has a well-meaning message about it. Like, hey, don't be racist. Um, don't be a shitty person. Just include people. Yeah. I think the movie honestly does it, have a really good message for that. It does have a good message about it. I think our whole thing about it is, like, if this was a fi- if P.T. Barnum was a fictional character, we probably would have less issues with it. Right. That's where the issue comes from, is that there is this very nice, uplifting story in it. But the actual truth of what P.T. Barnum was and what he did distracts away from yeah. that nice story. Yeah, that, I feel like that's my main issue with it is the truth behind it is distracting to all this light and glamour that's in front of you. I don't know. I, don't, I still don't buy even in-universe or in-movie, I guess I should specify because we do have a universe. But <laughs> like, I still don't buy that he actually cares about them that much. No, he doesn't. Right, so, like, that's a weird footnote in this anti-being-a-dick. Also, it does this thing that Hollywood does a lot, where they're like, we're definitely anti-racism, but they never actually, like, want to be flat out. They always skirt around it, because yeah, I think right. they don't want, like, people to be like, oh, fucking, how dare you say racism's bad. Honestly, that's that's literally it. It's There's all these small things that make the ultimate message not be as good. Put simply. Yeah. I'm pretty sure P.T. Barnum's ghost somehow fucking wrote this. <laughs> this, <was>. does, 
This does seem like something he was fucking right. Yeah. The only reason this was written at a seance where they're trying to <laughs> they're trying to get his ghost, and then one of the writers just started speaking in tongues and started writing as it's like by the time they're done hear his like swindly voice be like oh yes and and add the the message about racism but don't make it too clear oh we want the other side to pay us money too <laughs> yeah. i'm just saying i feel like the reason his wife's name is charity so if he gives her money he can just say he's donating to charity I like that. I that's really fun. like that's that. Really good. That's really, really good. As soon as I heard her name, I was like, oh, man. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it's a, I don't know, the love story stuff, I still think is kind of whatever. Like, oh, cool, the Disney Channel kids love each other. Neato. There are a couple, the, the it's kind of funny that the, uh, the love story in it is Zac Efron and Zendaya, and they're both Disney stars. Yeah, the Disney Channel kids. It's kind of funny, yeah. actually. I think it's one Very different why I, eras of Disney I, Channel. Right. That's why I had to ask you at the end of the movie, like, was this actually done by Disney? But, Which, no, it wasn't done by Disney. It was done by Fox, but now Disney owns it. So now it's a Disney movie. Yeah. So technically... I don't really have much else to say. Like I said, I personally just don't remember the songs, which is weird because usually... With movies, I actually come out remembering at least one song if they sing songs. Not for me this time. I mean, I feel like it's one of those, especially if you listen to them more than once, like eventually you'll find your favorite songs and there's certain ones that will get stuck in your head eventually that you'll start to just really enjoy. I disagree. I don't. I think that there's just probably a group of people that just won't like this movie. That is also fair too. I'm sure that there are. And they could watch it like a thousand times. Yeah, I'm sure that there are those people, but I'm sure that like... For every person who hates this movie, there's at least another one who really, really loves this movie and loves the music in it. There are a lot of people that love the music in it. Um, the two songs that got super, super famous was the one where are the two anti-racist ones actually, which is kind of nice. I I won't speak for E because I, I won't do that, but I might just find myself in a small group of people who is duly unimpressed with the music. It's yeah okay. I think it's just I hear. One, I, despite how I joke around that I have a shit taste in music, and I do, I <laughs> I listen to a lot of different types of music, musicals being one, and it, it just strikes me as like it meshes as just musical music. Like, none of it spoke out to me. Like, I've seen, like, I've listened to, like, Hamilton, I've listened to the SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical soundtrack, like, it just, like, nothing, nothing stuck out to me, and... Some t- baby, like the one song I would expect to remember is The Greatest Showman, a song that I've actually heard prior to this from a mashup with an anime opening. <laughs> but like, I can't even remember that mashup, and mashups are something I, I remember a lot, and I've listened to that mashup f- like probably 10 times by now, and I just don't remember it. So like, just none of it clicks in my brain. And that actually is really weird for music a lot of times for me. I, I couldn't buy it, me personally, because I didn't think it was sincere. I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't sincere, but something I look for in a song that I feel isn't is sincere is insight into the topic. And I feel like these songs just danced around very, um, very, very known concepts and then sort of like, like poppy. Like, hey, you know this concept, so I'm going to put this concept in there. And I'm going to put this concept in there because you know this concept. And I, I just, 
I don't know. I, I mean, you're not wrong. It didn't seem very it's, sincere to they me. They are... I think maybe that's one of the reasons why I like it. It seems like it is music... it's insincere. <laughs> no, not the insincere part, but, like, it is pop music. Like, that's... It's yeah, just straight it, up, that's it, what it is. It's pop music. It's meant to be punchy and in and out, and, like, that's it. And, like, you're not going to think about it later. And that's why I think they've done so well on the radio is because, like, it brings... Like Rocky said, it brings a small little thing in, and it pays attention to it for two and a half to three minutes, and then it's out. Which, it sucks that that's the case, because it does touch on very sensitive topics. Uh, important topics, racism. Yeah, but, like, I'm supposed to believe in this movie. It's, I'm supposed to be be taken by it and see this man's dream. And if I can't even believe the fucking music is sincere, <laughs> how am I supposed to get invested in the movie? So I think, for me, there are two points that really kind of hit me. That give me, like, that butterfly feeling that I don't know if you guys get when you're, like, you're watching something, like a musical. I get yeah. them a lot in musicals, actually, when I'm watching them. Is like the choreography and the music and the acting all hits perfectly at the same time. And I think this movie has two of those that are really amazing. It is at the beginning of it when it's the Million Dreams song when they're on the roof and there's all those sheets there. And he picks up his wife, puts her down and runs. And then she jumps off the thing and he catches her. Like for me, every single time I see that, I get the, like that floaty butterfly feeling. It just, it works perfectly for me. And then the um, This Is Me song when all the performers are doing that and they're in the ring and from up in the balcony thing through glass, you see Zac Efron's character look down at Zendaya and she looks up at him and it feels like there is a real like fire in her. Like this is me. And like that moment gets me too. like, that gives me that like, holy fuck. Like everything just works perfectly in that one moment to give you that feeling. I feel like that's one of those two. And they're both very small I moments. That I, I, this is me was probably the closest that it may or may not have actually brought a tear to my eye at one part. Perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> Still overall not impressive to the music. <laughs> and then for me, like, it feels like that's what the movie wants me to feel. I just don't. That's and fair. Like, yeah, and it's fair that you do feel this way. Because like I said, I could see why you would. Because like, it's like this bombastic thing and like this whole build up to the, each of these scenes. I just don't feel it. Uh, the first one, probably because I don't care for love. And then <laughs> the second one, I just wasn't feeling it. I don't really have a specific reason why that one. I'll say, I think my favorite uh, actor in this was Zac Efron. He's good. I yeah. think that man is genuinely fucking charming as hell. Him and Hugh Jackman are oh, yeah. so fucking yeah. charming. And the scenes they have together are amazing. Well, it was, so like something I was worried like I thought it would be like Spider Man where I can't see Tobey Maguire as not Spider Man. I thought I was not going to be able to see him past the high school musical stuff. But he seems like such a different character that it worked. Like, literally, I'm not even kidding. I even told Liz this after I got done watching this movie. It was like, I thought Zac Efron was just some Disney fuck-off kid that I never had to think about. And then watching this, I actually respected him afterwards. Because he just made yeah, me believe that character. him in High School Musical. No. When he's singing Get Your Head in the Game. And he's like in a rotating basketball court. I'm kind of in the same boat. Yeah, boat, thank you. I'm kind of in the same boat as Drya with, like, Zac Efron because, like, I kind of just thought of him as, like, you know, another Disney kid that, you know, is going to go off and do whatever after his Disney movies are gone. But he's actually become quite the respectable actor afterwards. Like, I genuinely like he him is a bit. Yeah, he's very charming. He's very well – or he's a very good actor. He's a good singer. He's a good showman, yeah. if you will, with this. And then him along with Hugh Jackman, like, they play off each other so well They really with do. it. Which is, I think, one reason why we all love that bar scene. Yeah, that's honestly, that scene is the perfect encapsulation of this movie, too. Like, 
that's one of those things to where I see that and I immediately have joy on my face because that entire thing just feels perfect. That just, that literally that it was song done from beginning well. to end, all the choreography, just the bartender even who I learned today was the choreographer. Like even his small mannerisms just feel like so perfect, and it sucks that it's in such a mixed bag of a thing because even though it is a mixed bag, like I still love this movie. I still really enjoy it, and if you put it on the background, like I'm gonna look over at my favorite parts. I'm be like, I really love this song. I really love this scene. I really love this look that Zendaya gives. Like I love all these small little things about it. Even the songs that I feel are weaker as pop versions that have been covered. Like when I hear them when I'm at work, like I'm like, fuck yeah, this song, fuck yeah. It's I don't know. It, it kind of puts you back in that moment, dude. I could I could hear your love for this movie from the text. Yeah. When I complained about having to watch this, because he's like, <laughs> just the way he wrote that text, I was like, okay, I'm not going to bitch about this movie anymore. Jariah <laughs> actually cares about this movie. This, this wasn't some arbitrary thing that was that was thrown. I mean, to be fair with like other musicals, like one of my favorite musicals is actually Across the Universe. I don't think Jariah likes that movie nearly as much as I do. No, I like the first half of that movie, and I think the second half drags a lot. But, I mean, yeah. it depends on which uh, Beatles songs you like. like yeah, which era that's Beatles also you fair. Like. like, I like the poppier Beatles, and I think once they started doing Acid, they got a little too weird for me. <laughs> and then there's me. I'm super, like, even in high school, like, you can ask Drya, I was into some super weird music. Yeah. It wasn't, like, the, some of the weird mashups that E listens to. Like, it was more structured than that, but it was still fucking weird. And the fact that I had stoner friends and I would play that music to them freaked a lot of them out. <laughs> was that it was intention? kind of funny, actually. Oh, it was. Okay. <laughs> But, yeah, I think uh, let's get on to our final ratings and final uninterrupted thoughts. Let's start with E, then Rocky, then Robbie. Okay. And that's it. Okay. God damn it. <laughs> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say six out of ten. I broke my streak of sevens. I think I gave the last five movies a seven. <laughs> but here comes the six. Uh, I, it, it really just strikes me as this is... The theater, the theater movie. You take your family to do it. You guys enjoy it. Actually, the fact that it's a circus actually really kind of encapsulates my feelings on it. It's something you go and see. It might be a bit much. It might be a bit ridiculous. It hides some of the stuff that you're not supposed to see. But you can, you can enjoy it. I don't ever think I'll really care enough to watch the movie again. I don't think I'll ever actually particularly go out of my way to listen to any of the music. But... It's fine. I definitely see why a lot of people like it. I just personally, none of it, like, caught me. Okay. And Rocky? I give it a six. I give it a six. Um, I don't know. It's just not my kind of movie. I am moved by how passionate you are for the movie, though. Like, legitimately. I like I like seeing people who care about the, the stuff that they watch. Especially be, if it makes you happy, because I don't feel like there's... A lot of things that that do that for myself that I watch them because it legitimately makes me happy. So it's just, you know, my personal opinion. I just didn't catch the magic of it, I guess. And that's it. I'm a six for me. Okay. And Robbie. I'm somewhat in the same boat of them with these guys. Like it is another six out of ten for me, but I think for different reasons. But like I said before, it's very beautifully shot. The camera work is amazing. The scenery is amazing. Like everything has a glisten and a glow to it and it's very beautiful to watch and it has a great soundtrack that it's very poppy it's very like i don't want to say in your face but it kind of is in your face like with the music and the visuals and the acting is very well done and it tells like this story like you said of 
and it has this message of you know anti-racism and being able to accept people for who they are and there's a lot of really good things about it but i think for me it's hard to get past the fact that it's a beautiful lie in a sense like if it was fictional characters i probably would have given it a higher rating and that's uh in the whole sense of you know the message it's trying to move forward and i kind of expect it to be very theatery and very showy because it's the greatest showman it's going to be very showman like for everything that they do in it and so that's to be expected and it but it is a heartwarming movie it is a very fun movie to watch and it's very like i feel like this is one of those movies you'd watch with maybe your family and then put the album on for your kids and they would sing it every now and then like it is one of those kinds of movies but i think for me it is kind of hard to get like when you find out about how this movie is like the definition of putting vaseline on a lens or wearing rose covered glasses or like don't pay attention to the bad things in the background pay attention to this very showy bright thing that's in front of you kind of thing i have a hard time getting past that part of it so it is a six out of ten but it is still an enjoyable movie to watch and i did enjoy watching the movie and i'll probably still listen to some of those songs later on too cool then before i get on to my thoughts i just want to throw this in there I've talked before about how like a sleeper hit is really rare. Like an opening weekend is generally a movie's like big thing. That's when they make over 50% of their money. Yeah. This was one of those movies that didn't do that. It made only 8.8 million in its opening weekend, which is nothing. Its budget was 84 million. It captured an audience. And I I guess I'm part of that. Yeah. To where they went and they saw it again and they liked the song. So they went and saw it again and then they started telling people about it and it grew and it grew to where it eventually grossed $435 million through its theatrical run, including a second theatrical run, run that was sing-along with all the lyrics for all the songs at the bottom so everybody in the theater could sing along with the songs. Those would be nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, it really hit that kind of like, take your kid to this, let them feel some magic kind of thing, like take them to the circus, like you guys are saying. Like, it's definitely that kind of movie. And I don't think that that's bad necessarily. I do think that... I mean, even with, like, a lot of Disney stuff, like, there is a lot of innocence and a lot of stuff like that in them, and then you learn the truth behind them, and, like, maybe not so innocent. I think that's the case with this one, honestly. I think that, like Robbie's been saying, there is a, this is a beautiful lie. Everything about it, almost, is incredibly, incredibly false. But if you look at it in just the view of a movie, and just the view of this feeling that it captures throughout the whole thing of acceptance, and growing, and being different, and moving on, and being able to let the next generation take over. I think that this movie kind of does that with showing that the performers are eventually like, fuck you, this is who I am, accept me or don't, with that look from Zendaya that she gives to Zac Efron's character of like, fuck you, like, if you can't be seen with me, if you if you love me, but you can't accept what I am and who I am, then fuck off, I don't need you. With at the end when Hugh Jackman hands off his top hat to Zac Efron, he takes over the circus. Um, I think... For me, like, that's a small thing, but, like, that's a, like, here's the next generation. Like, I did what I could. Here, it's your job now. Like, I think there is a deeper message with all of this that is intended, but it's it's not historically what happened. So I think the message itself I, I like a lot, which goes into a saying that I also really like a lot that I think applies to this incredibly well, is when you are told the story of somebody and you're told the legend, print the legend. And I think that's exactly what this movie is. It's printing the legend. Yeah. Compared to the gritty truth. Yeah. So for me, this movie is obviously a 
high marks. It's nine. It's really good. I just genuinely enjoy it. I'm not going to say it's a perfect, amazing movie, but I'm Why saying not? for me, it's really enjoyable. And I totally get why people wouldn't like it, though. But yeah, it's one of those. I love this, but I understand why other people wouldn't yeah. kind of thing. The, the fact that you are not entirely a dour fuck just enrages me. Why? How dare you, sir? How in the fu- sunlight, loving something when you should be over here in the shadows with us, <laughs> hating it because it's not real. <laughs> so yeah, that's the greatest showman. I'm glad you. Yeah, I'm glad you guys were. Uh, we're here for that. This was fun. Yeah. I did enjoy the experience of it, though. Like, this is all very nice experience, which is, I think that's one reason why I gave the thing of, like, this is definitely worth seeing. I I actually enjoyed uh, Jiraiya's passion for this movie oh. more than the actual movie. That was that was actually very valuable. No, no I'm serious. It's always fun to talk to people when, when they actually love something. You know what I mean? Because you actually, you see what they see in it, which I think is pretty cool. Because that 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 right there, what you told me about the movies, that makes sense. Because your attitude towards the movie made me want to go back and actually be like, well, maybe I should sit down and and give this another view. Maybe I mean, look at it in a different legitimately... light. Oh yeah, exactly. It's in general, like one of the best things is just seeing someone who has a glimmer in their eye when they're passionate about something. There's that's honestly one of the best things I ever can experience is when you find someone who has that who can share just how much they love something with you even if you don't understand it cool yeah that's so, awesome i think at the end of the day all three of us can at least say thank you for sharing something i'll give it a with seven us. for dry as i'll give it a fucking seven points everywhere <laughs> I'll bump it up to 6.5 just for dry as, just for the glimmer and dry as eye. I for feel this like movie. fucking Gryffindor right now. <laughs> <laughs> 10 what? points to dry <laughs> 1 million points to dry <laughs> But yeah, if you guys want to uh, get a hold of us on any kind of social medias, you can do that on uh, Facebook and Twitter. We're last ones in on both of theirs. We're pretty easy to find. If you want to shoot us an email, you can do so at the last ones in podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is the last ones in podcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening. This has been great. E, thank you. Hello, yes, thanks. Robbie, thank you. Always. And Rocky from across the country, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Everybody out there, stay safe. Follow your heart. Do the right thing here. Don't be racist. It's super shitty. <laughs> um, listen to the heart of the cards. Listen to the heart of the cards. Stay alone, stay alive, unless you're protesting, in which case, just wear some protection. Be safe out there. Yeah, it, it's a very crazy world that we're living in right now, and at the end of it, we all just have each other. It's very true. It's very true. And we need to hold on to that. We do. So yeah, talk to you guys next week. Where don't worry, we're gonna have a much more dour episode for you. <laughs> Woohoo! Okay. Talk to you guys later. Asta. Yo, 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 this is Rocky, live from Rocky Talkie Station on Rocky Talkie Island. And we are going to start you off with some slow tunes, and we're going to work you up. And hopefully you and your loved one have a safe trip tonight, driving across Rocky Talkie Island. (laughs) 
<laughs> Which is weird because Rocky Taki Island is like has walking distance and like there's no actual driving roads, just mostly walking roads, but off roading, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about UTIs, man. Urinary tract infections? The yeah, but the off road ones. Yeah. <laughs> I have had a chance to play the game that E worked on, Minor oh. Inconvenience. <laughs> on itch.io. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I'm quoting you. No. <laughs> you know, when, when, you're, when you're trying that hard to stop people from masturbating, maybe the problem is trying so hard to stop people from masturbating. Just let them, you know, do their thing with the table leg and they eventually will die down. They'll be replaced by shame in like two minutes. They'll never want to do it again until the next day. <laughs> It's kind of hard just to watch the world around you start to burn and then not knowing what to do about it. Well, I mean, the nice thing is, as individuals, you just have to, at the very least, you'll be judged by what you do with your own environments. And then what more you do, I guess, is up to you. But so as long as you guys aren't going around fucking up people's days and stuff, and you should be okay. I mean, it wasn't like you're in a. This isn't like fucking any of you are in like a presidential position or anything, you know?